Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John 19, verse 38. The Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. For a little while this morning, on this Easter morning, I'd like to speak to us today about this. The aroma remains. The aroma remains. If you could bow your heads all across this place today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you right now. God, we're thankful, Lord, for the many people, Lord, that may be gathered here this morning. God, we're appreciative, Lord Jesus, of their attendance. But God, more so, God, than that. God, we're appreciative, Lord, of your presence. God, and we need that presence, Lord, in this service, in the remainder of this service today. I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts, you would touch our minds. God, that as we reach out to you and heaven reaches down to us, God, that there could be something, Lord, conveyed, something said, Lord, that would help us, Lord, in our everyday lives. We live, Lord, just practical lives, Lord, and you're able, God, to help us in those practical lives with some practical tools, Lord, in order to live these lives, Lord, victorious. I know, Jesus, God, you'll help us. God, we depend, Lord, solely upon you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Can everyone say amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The lovely name of the Lord. The aroma, the aroma remains. It was the humane custom of the Romans to give the corpse of criminals to their friends if they chose to ask for them. But if no friend asked for them, the Roman custom was to leave the body hanging on the cross until it rotted or until the vultures of the air came by and picked away at it till there was not much left of it. Only shortly thereafter to discard the corpse or what remained upon the crosses of crucifix to carry them into the wilderness where it was eaten then the rest of them by nothing but wild dogs. However, whenever a man was crucified and particularly for the deed of sedition, rising, causing some group of arising against the law or government of that time, he he would not be afforded the normal dignity of a burial that would be given by other citizens or to other citizens. His body would not be given, even asked for, to his friends or his family. No matter how much they begged, how much they pleaded, they would not give the body away. 
if that criminal was there for sedition. They would be carried out of the city to just a common grave, no special burial, no special monument, no special mourning or procession to the graveyard, just a common grave. No pomp, no honor, no prestige. They would just be lumped together. Seemingly these criminals would in a ditch, in a burial ground. Nothing demarking who they were, amen, what had been done. Everybody knew that where there was just a large mound, that was a bunch of scoundrels. That was a bunch of criminals. Jesus' corpse, ladies and gentlemen, today would have ended up in that type of burial. It would have been just with a common criminal, just with a common malefactor, if you will. But Joseph Arimathea intervened on this particular day. The Bible says that he desired to take the body of Jesus Christ. He desired to prepare it for burial. Scripture even declares that his desire to do this was so strong, so imminent, that Mark says that Joseph craved the body of Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason this happened, Pilate granted the request of Joseph of Arimathea, perhaps because Pilate from the very beginning said, I find no fault with this man, did not see or find any fault or crime with the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps the reasoning then for Pilate giving the body to Joseph of Arimathea when otherwise Jesus should have been buried with the common criminal. But nevertheless, as Joseph took the body, the Bible says there's another person that joins him. A man by the name of Nicodemus that the Lord had had encounters with before. Back in John 3. Nicodemus coming to the Lord by night wanting to know how can I, how can I receive heaven? How, how can I have the kingdom of God? Jesus telling him that he must be born again of the water and of the spirit in order to enter into and in order to see the kingdom of heaven. But Nicodemus just does not come empty handed. The Bible says he comes with some myrrh. He comes with some alloy. He comes with some spices. These two gentlemen do not waste much time. The preparations of the Jews are upon them according to our scripture reading. They're gonna have to bury this body of Jesus Christ, do the proper measures for burial before nightfall comes. So they're not wasting time. The burial has to be done before nightfall. And this particular burial preparation after the Bible says the manner of the Jews was Jesus buried. Not according to the Egyptians. Egyptians used to take bodies and they had an elaborate process of embalming them and taking out their entrails and their insides and putting the spices inside the cavity of the body. But that was not the way the Lord and Savior was, was prepared for burial. Other bodies sometimes were cremated for preparation for burial, but not the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was left intact. Everything was still there. Everything was still intact. No entrails were taken out of him. He was whole. I believe God had a divine plan because he knew that body wasn't gonna stay in the tomb. He knew that body wasn't gonna stay in the grave. The whole man, Christ Jesus, was gonna come forth from that tomb. And so the Jewish practice, here's Joseph and here's Nicodemus. They start the preparations of the body. They would wash the body. They'd wash the blood from the, where the crown of thorns had been on his head. They would wash that side where that spear had pierced through. They would wash those nail prints in his hands and those nail prints in his feet. They would wash that body as thoroughly as possible. They would wash it. And then they would get a cloth. There's differences of opinion whether it was a cloth or, or several 
several little strips of cloth, but they would take that cloth nevertheless. And in the folds of the cloth, they would intersperse among there the myrrh. And they would intersperse among there the alloys. Because these were fragrant spices. These are well-smelling spices. And the reason why they put all these things in the garments and all these things in the cloths and, and all these things uh, to the, prepare the Lord Jesus Christ's body, the Jews oftentimes did this because you know what happens to a dead body? It starts to stink. And so they're wrapping it in all of these aloes and all of these spices because this body's gonna begin to be putrefied. It's going to begin to stink. There's, it's going to have a reeking smell over a few days that's going to be accompanying this body. So they're, they're putting all the spices upon this body because they want to eliminate the smell, if you will, of decaying flesh. Don't want this to be offensive. Don't, don't want that to escape outside of the tomb and people walk by and smell the rotting flesh of a person behind the stone wall. And so they're using all these spices, amen, for the decaying flesh. They did this even in Old Testament times. The Bible speaks of kings that were laid on, on beds of spices, of sweet-smelling odors that had a pleasant smell to them, amen. And so here's Nicodemus. He came. He, he had plenty of spices the Bible says he has myrrh he has alloys and the Bible says according to the weight of a hundred pounds a hundred pounds of spices myrrh myrrh expensive yellowish brown in substance sweet smelling little resin that came from a tree had a bitter taste but had a sweet smell used oftentimes for embalming to cover up the smell of the dead. Aloes, here it is, Nicodemus. Again, sweet smelling, good to the nose, kind to the smell, derived from a tree as well, used to cleanse, used to purify, used to counteract, again, the horrible smell of a decomposing body. Expensive, Murrias. Aloes, expensive. Yet the Bible says that Nicodemus brought a mixture of both of these of about 100 pounds. The expense for this type of barrel would be the expense for a king. According to the Old Testament and New Testament history books of that culture and time, a common person would just be buried with about five pounds of aloes and myrrh that was mixed together, just a common man. But this type and amount of alloy and myrrh that is mixed together, Aloe, aloes and myrrh mixed together, would be that fit for a king, fit for somebody of prestige, fit for somebody of, of honor. And yet they continuously say that he is the king of the Jews, but make a mockery of it as though it were some falsehood. But somehow God planted in the mind of Nicodemus and that of Joseph, that this man is just not a common man. This man is just not an ordinary person. Gonna lay it on the heart of Nicodemus, don't just bring five pounds, bring 100 pounds, because what you're laying to rest today is the king, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And so they would have their great procession of this great weight 
of pounds that they would wrap the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in. They did the process very immediately. They didn't wait very long. They would oftentimes, even sometimes, burn spices at the grave because they want to cover the atmosphere of any stench that would be coming from the grave. Again, because dead bodies have a tendency to stink. Dead things have a tendency to stink. Dead bodies are noisome, if you will. They're offensive. Amen. They say, according to a, a reputable source, they say that a body will begin stinking anywhere from 24 to 48 hours after it's died. 24 to 48 hours, there's going to start to be a putrefying smell, a reeking, revolting, repulsive smell that comes forth from the body. Martha even cautioned Jesus in the New Testament whenever he arrived at the grave of Lazarus who had been dead for four days. She says, Lord, if we take away the stone, he's been dead four days and surely he stinketh by this time. Enzymes in the cells start to break down the body. Amen. A sort of self-digestion begins to take place on the body. Bacteria begins to break it down that comes from the colon. and It's rank. It's stinky. It's revolting. It's nothing. It's nothing pretty. It's nothing that you want to go sit around a dinner table around. At the autopsy of Jesus Christ, if they were to do an autopsy on Jesus Christ and a report of his death, it would be apparent that perhaps he was crucified. But the real certificate or cause of death would not be the crucifix, it would be sin. They would say it would have been nail prints and it would have been a spear through the side or, or it would have been the crown of thorns upon the head. But in essence, it was sin. But not his own sin. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Peter, when speaking of Jesus in 1 Peter 2, 22, speaking of the Lord, he said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. <laughs> Cause of death, sin, but not his own sin. Isaiah begins to declare 800 years before the crucifix of Jesus Christ. Many say he's talking about a suffering servant and they don't like to say who he is. I'll tell you who he was. The suffering servant that Isaiah was speaking about, he was speaking about Jesus Christ. Whenever he said in Isaiah 53 and 4, surely, now listen now, he hath borne our griefs, not his own. He had carried our sorrows, not his own. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, whenever we seen him there or would see him there on the tree, we would say God was doing that to him. But in reality, it was our grief, our sorrows, our sin, our maladies, our hangups that was doing that to him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities for the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed and he continues to say all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him who that suffering servant Jesus Christ of the New Testament the iniquity of us all cause of death sin but not his own sin the sin of you and the sin of me. 
The sin of all of us sitting here today, the sin of the world present and that of times past and of that which is to come. The sin of the world was the cause of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. amen. And yet it not being his sin, but being our sin, we see a very great picture here then of a substitution, a substitutionary death, if you will, of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen, not for his own behalf, but on the behalf of you, on the behalf of me, not bearing his own sin, but bearing your sin and my sin. He was not pierced through with judgment, amen, for his transgressions because he never broke the law, scripture says. Amen, it was us who received the judgment, but he bore the judgment for us. He bore the judgment for you cause of death sin the bible says in Romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the wages of sin is death the payment of sin is death and so as he took the judgment or the payday as he took the payday for you and I it was just absolutely just a, a common unrolling of events he's going to die there's going to be a death because the payday in the wages of sin is death. The Bible speaks of him being cursed. The New Testament writer said, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Not cursed by himself, but cursed for you and I. Someone say amen. And so since the payment of sin is death, whenever Jesus speaks to Peter in 1 Peter 2.24, he says, who his own self spare." our sins in his own body on the tree he bore our sins in his body on the tree so sin being in his body our sin being upon his body death then had to come to that body on that tree sin Many times whenever sins are mentioned in scripture, there are several of them that are called or categorized as being an abomination. The word abomination means detestable. It means a foul thing. It means a foul thing on the account of its stench. Many of these sins were abominations, foul things on account of their stench. Sin doesn't have a pleasant aroma. Amen. Sin doesn't have a pleasant aroma. It reeks, if you will. It is repulsive. A lot of people say, you know, sin stinks in the nostrils of God. You'll not find no scripture that says that directly because it's not in there. It's just something that we come up with. But through the idea that these sins were abomination, meaning a foul smell, amen, on account of their stench, then I would say that there is a stench, a reeking, a rank, if you will, smell that comes with Sin. Amen. So whenever, listen to me now, whenever they were laying that body in the tomb, I dare declare to you today, it, the aloes and the myrrh that came wasn't just trying to cover up a decomposing body, but a body that took the sin of the world. He bore it in his body. In Peter, he said, he took the sin of the world. And if sin has a stench, if sin has a smell, ordained by God, there was some aroma that was there that was trying to cover and mask over the sins from Adam 
all the way to Jesus Christ and that which would happen in the future. There was, a, there was some aroma there that was trying to mask over, cover, cut out, minimize the stink that sin. Amen. Had in a body. And this is what the apostle says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Paul says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Look now, not imputing their trespasses unto them. He didn't impute their trespasses to the ones who trespass. He didn't put that on their charge. He didn't put that on their account. He said, I've committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Why? And he gives us the reason, verse 21. Why be reconciled to God? For this reason, he hath made him to be sin for us or in behalf of us or for the sake of us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He did not impute or put on their account their trespasses that they had made, didn't impute that to them. He imputed it unto the Lord. He put it on his account. See, the word impute is just a, a normal banking term, actually. The word impute is, amen, it's borrowed from banking, and it simply means to put to one's account. Uh-huh. He did not put to their account their own transgressions. He put that on his account. Yet the Bible says that we might be made, in verse 21, the righteousness of God. So he took their transgressions and put that on his account. And the righteousness that he had lived for the past 33 years, he didn't take that as his own, but he put that on their account. We had a major transaction that took place here. What they were responsible for, he became responsible for. And what he was responsible for, the righteousness he gave to them that they might be responsible for. Someone say amen. He did all that. I think one person said it best. He died my death so I could live his life. died my death so I could live his life. My sins were put on his account while his righteousness was put upon my account. And so there's a wondrous picture here that's painted in scripture. Every sin that Jesus bore that should have got righteous judgment, it did. He got it at the cross. Yet as he took sin in his body and it was judged on the cross, that body also in the sin therein was buried in the tomb. Every sin that had been committed, judged on the cross, but also buried in the tomb. And the Bible says on resurrection morn in John 20, that Peter and John, after learning from Mary, that the stone was rolled away. They go running to the tomb. The Bible speaks that John outruns Peter. He comes to the door of the tomb. He looks in and he sees the linen clothes. But that, that's all he sees because he's on the outside of the tomb. The Bible says that Peter enters on in. 
He sees a napkin wrapped together by itself in a place and the linen clothes. And then John comes in and sees evidently what Peter saw. And the Bible says whenever John came in and seen that, he also believed. Now I'm just throwing something out here just for good measure to cause you to stir up your thinking. Again, there's great controversy about whether this is one piece of cloth, a shroud, or if there's several strips, almost like a mummification type of process because they were under Egyptian bondage for about 400 years and would learn the process of that. Now, there are some that, that in, it indicate that little strips are being put in that myrrh gum and those alloys, wrap it around a body, and it's almost like doing paper mache That whenever it gets done and it's hard and it's like a body cast, it's firm. And so just imagine with me for a moment. John comes to the tomb. He sees the linen cloth there. But whether there was a body in it or not, how would he know? Because it almost becomes as a body cast, still has the form of a body. But Peter enters on in and sees the napkin's not on a face. The napkin's not on a head. It's wrapped together by itself. And then John enters on in. And what do we have here? Hey, I see the same thing that Peter saw. I was fooled. I thought maybe he was still, that still had the form and the fashion. But that thing's hollow. That thing's empty. He's not there anymore. They were gone. Jesus Christ, the body was gone. The sin that was in the body was gone. But you know what was left? There was garment clothes. And there was a hundred pounds of myrrh and a hundred pounds of aloe. Ladies and gentlemen, there should have been a great stench after three days coming from the tomb, but the stench was no longer there, just a sweet aroma that remained in the tomb. I'm here to tell somebody on this Sunday morning, you might have lived life the best that you know how to live, but you still trip up. You still made some bad mistakes in your life. You still had some wrongs, and it has literally sometimes made a stench, a horrible smell in your life, a dark spot you wish you could just somehow rub out. I'm here to tell you today that's already been taken care of. There's no more sin in the tomb. There's no more body in the tomb. The only thing that remains is the aroma of the the myrrh, the aroma of the alloys. God can bring something sweet smelling back out of your life that you thought was dismal and hopeless. should have been able to enter that tomb with that body if it were still there. Maybe had to help their nose just a little bit. Maybe averted their face just a little bit because of the putrid smell of a decaying body that bore the sin of the world. But that's not the report we have. There was no more stench there. There was more, no more stink there. There was no more rank smell that was there. Just a sweet fragrance was left. Honey, whenever you go through the process and you have God as your savior and as your friend, he can take those things that used to literally stink or theoretically stink in your life and he can bring a sweet aroma, amen, where something putrid once was, where something that you wasn't very proud of was. He can cause a sweet aroma, amen, of the spices, amen, of his life to be because the sin's not there anymore. The body's not there anymore. God, Christ can do that for you today. 
just lending close, 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes that filled the air. At the grave, at the burial, we're just left now with an appealing aroma. Think about it, folks. If normally, if normally five pounds of myrrh and aloes was considered adequate, sufficient enough to mask the foul smell of death because that's what a commoner was buried with. Just five pounds. They thought that was adequate enough. Imagine how stout 100 pounds flavored the air of that tomb, flavored the air of that grave that had been concealed for several days. popular Christian novel called The Pilgrim's Progress John Bunyan he's telling the allegory and throughout the early portion of the story the pilgrim is traveling with a burdensome load on his back a load which he cannot shed by his own power and John writes and says now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian, that's the name of the man, Christian was to go, was fenced on either side with a wall. He says that wall was called salvation. He said up this way, therefore did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load that was on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending upon that place stood a cross and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher he says so I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross his burden loose from off his shoulders fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more what are you doing, John Bunyan? I'm describing the right life of humanity. They're traveling a path. They're burdened with a load. It's a load of their past life. It's a load of inconvenient times and bad choices. And it's, it's a load of regret. It's a load of I wish I had not a done. They're trying to get up the wall of salvation and yet there seems to be something weighing them down where they can't climb and they can't advance as well as they would be able to advance. But whenever they get to the cross, if they'll ever get to the cross and get with the cross, when they get to the cross, the load comes unshackled from their back. That which tethered them and bound them and impeded their progress comes unshackled from their back. And it rose to the place of the burial and is buried. And I see it no more. I'm trying to tell somebody today, I'm inviting you and your load, you and your fear, you and your regrets. I'm inviting you to a cross where that load can be unburdened, where it can roll to a sepulcher, where it can be buried and sing no more. And the only thing that you'll be left with is the aroma of a sweet remains of spices. Someone say amen. amen. The barrel's important. All times we focus on the crucifix, and that's important. 
the resurrection, absolutely important. But the burial was important. All the gospel writers speak of Christ's burial. Paul, in presenting the gospel to many of the New Testament churches, in presenting the gospel, the gospel is summarized as this, as the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul told them in Corinthians that, he says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, that Christ died for our sins. Not his own again, but for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to scriptures. I don't want to skip over the burial. Because from the burial is not the stench as you would surmise, but is the sweet aroma of what Christ leaves when he's the one that's went to the tomb. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So those that are baptized in Christ are in essence baptized into his death. Therefore, being baptized into his death. Therefore, we also are buried with him. By how? Baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. <laughs> the body that got up from the tomb. A body went into the tomb that bore sins. The body that came up from the tomb eradicated sin and had no more of that a part of it. It was a newness of life. Today, whenever, and if you would, be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's in essence as dying with the Lord and thus being buried with the Lord. And the sins that you once knew in your past life, when you become resurrected with Christ, you know no more. Where, where you know, it's kind of like, kind of like the old, the old peanuts comic, you know, there, there's the old guy out there and he has always that cloud of dust around his feet. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe he didn't have the best of hygiene. He's wandered around and there's a stench following him. We may have in some figurative senses a little cloud of dust following our feet the stench of our old life. But if you're buried with him in baptism, amen, you die with him. And whenever he came up, if you come up as he came up, you don't leave a stink behind. There's nothing but a precious aroma. How's that happen? It's because of that death and that burial and that resurrection that leaves the remains of an aroma that is present there in the room. And the Bible says that they laid him in a new tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, according to Matthew 27, says that he laid the Lord in his own new tomb. Joseph Arimathea put him in his own new tomb. It seems kind of peculiar. Joseph Arimathea, well-to-do man, very, very wealthy, very well-to-do, prestigious. One, the world, would you choose yourself to have a tomb carved out close to a place of execution? 
Why, why would you have that done? I mean, most pious Jews would want, want their burial in a holy city. A, a rich man like you would want it somewhere notable where people could remember you. But, but you, you have your, your, your location of your, your tomb is, is, is close to a place of crucifixion. I mean, what, what good is that going to do for your relatives? I mean, you know, go come and they're going to pay homage at your tomb and, and just a stone's cast over. They're going to hear criminals over there crying out uh, for the unjust deeds that they had done. There, there, there's people over there being crucified for, for misdeeds and, and lifestyles that were, not, that, that, that were not comely. What in the world are you thinking, John? The Bible says in our scripture setting of John, John 19, 41, now in the place where Jesus, he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, where was never man yet laid. There laid they, Jesus therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. I want you to understand today that where the crosses stood erect and people were crucified, not far from there, nigh at hand, close, was the sepulcher where Jesus was entombed. If I say it a different way this morning, not far from where the wages of sin were paid, not far from where the wages of sin were paid, the aroma of sin faded. Somebody hear me right now. Not far where they were being judged for their sin. Sin, just a little distance from there, was no more. Just a sweet aroma remained right there. I'm here to comfort some heart this morning. If you'll stand with me, I'm here to comfort some heart today. That not far from where your sin is judged, not far from where your wages for sin is apparent, just a little distance from there is a place where they are no more. What are you saying this morning, then, Brother McGee? I'm saying, in essence, where you stand today is not far from being totally delivered, let go of, and freed from what's presently binding. Because we get in our minds about all oh, this is just too much. I've done too much. I've went too far. Preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know what you've done. At Calvary, all the sins of the world from there backward and forward, let me tell you, there's some pretty gruesome things right there. There's some pretty unthinkable things right there. But close to the cross is the sepulcher. Close to where payment was made. The papers of decree is that you owe nothing else. Is left in the tomb. There where bodies were rotting on the cross and there was a putrid smell of sin. There on Calvary, just a short distance from there, there's a sweet aroma. That's coming from a tomb. Folks, it is just that simple today. It is just that short of a distance. You say, Brother McGee, no, no, it's not. It is. It could be just as short as you raising a hand. It could be just as short as you opening your mouth. It could be just as short if you desire to make a, a, a walk down that aisle to an altar of prayer and throw up your hands and start. It can be that short today from the place where sin's judged to where sin is totally taken care of. Because I dare to say we all have all me included 
We all have certain elements and things and modes in our life. That we would love to mask over with an aroma. We do it all the time. You ate garlic bread and you didn't have time to brush your teeth before you went somewhere else? Come here, get me out of peppermint. What are you trying to do? You're trying to mask over an offensive, putrid smell. Getting ready to go out, getting ready to go out that night and you just want to make sure that you're in good company and spray and dab the cologne or the perfume. And What are you trying to do? Just in case... Just in case anything happened today, you know, that may have tainted my smell. What are you trying to do? You're trying to mask over. You're trying to rub out something offensive. We do that in a natural sense today. There's something even greater that we need to take care of than just a natural sense today. There's some spiritual things. There's some luggage some of us have carried into this place. They're nothing more but dead bodies. They're nothing more but rotting carcasses that we're carrying in. The stench is following us. I'm here to tell you today, it may be judged at Calvary, but it's no more at the tomb. The only thing left there is the garments and a hundred pounds, which is a superabundance of spices. There's just an aroma. If you need that type of transition in your life this morning, these altars are open. If we can bow our heads all over this place, every eye closed today. Pastor McGee, I'd love to mask over some of the wrongs in my life. I would love to be able to have something that, that could replace the aroma of some regrets that I live with every day in the past of my life. Folks, it's a short distance from Calvary to the tomb. It's a short distance from Calvary to the tomb. From where things have a stench on Calvary's hill to where they have a sweet aroma that flows from a tomb. God's here today. We're celebrating his death, burial, and resurrection. He's here today. He's leaving you not with the stench in the tomb, but he's leaving you with the pleasant smell of the aroma of the spices. He's not leaving you with your sin. He's not leaving you with your baggage. He's not leaving you with your turmoil. He's leaving you with a fresh start. A fresh start with a fresh aroma that is good and pleasant. He wants to do that for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, this, perhaps this will be your only time to enter in the door this year. Please don't leave this this morning with the same regrets that you entered in here with. Please don't leave this place, amen, with the same sorrows and, and sleepless nights of trying to contend with things of yesteryear. Come on this morning. He's already been judged at the cross for the sins that he, your sins that he bore in his body. Come on to the tomb. Find it empty. Let there be a sweet aroma that would only exist. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.